0: This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show.
1: And welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. In the show today, myself, Jimmy, and a guest will be running down the most recent live show from Falling Star Wrestling, Fight Night Aftermath from the Wesleyan Sports and Social Club. Hello, I'm your host for the show today. My name is Patrick Vincent Crown, but you can call me PVC. I'm one half of the Disaster Artist. The other half is on the line right now, and he goes by many names, but wrestling fans know him as Jimmy Starr. Jimmy Star. We will introduce our guest in just a moment but let me just say he's got plenty to say in fact it's quite hard to get him to shut up normally if you're a long-standing falling star wrestling fan then you're very aware of our annual christmas shows in case you're not familiar well we've got one rolling just around the corner falling star wrestling's xmas bash takes place at the western sports and social club on saturday december 16th Please note the early start time. The doors open at 2.30, with the wrestling starting at 3.30 in the afternoon. We've got loads planned for the show, but I'm legally only allowed to tell you about a few things. First of all, myself and Jimmy, we've put out our annual challenge to face us in a Christmas Bash match. What's that I hear you say? It's like a hardcore match, no rules, except all of the weapons are Christmas themed. In previous years we've had ladders wrapped in tinsel, kendo sticks with Christmas lights around them, and much, much more. It's always a good laugh and it's worth a watch. The question is, which team dare challenge the Disaster Artists this year? There is also the annual Christmas Rumble. There's a mystery theme for this year's battle, and what will it be? Come along and find out. This is a Christmas present your parents will let you open early. It doesn't stop there though. Crowley, the creature from the swamp, is scheduled to speak for the first time ever. Now, I have heard from reliable sources he's going to bust out his own rendition of Silent Night. Finally, the Falling Star Wrestling Awards are upon us. Get your votes in now and tell us your view on the following categories. Newcomer of the Year, Match of the Year, and Wrestler of the Year. I've got my picks. What are yours? Let us know by sending Falling Star Wrestling a direct message on Facebook or Instagram. It's at Falling Star Wrestling. Voting closes on the 15th of December, the day before the show. All winners will be announced at the Christmas show. So there's like one, two, three, four, five reasons to come along to the show. If you don't make it, you will definitely be going on Santa's naughty list. Okay, with all that out of the way, it's time for the main event today. We've got Jimmy Starr on the line, but please be aware that sometimes his audio fluctuates. I think he was stuck in a washing machine at points, but don't worry. Myself and our guest this week come through as clear as Christmas snow. All right, let's jump into chatting about Fight Night Aftermath. Falling Star Wrestling returned to its spiritual home at the Westland Sports and Social Club in November for another edition of Fight Night. This time around it was a special edition of Fight Night. It was aftermath the aftermath of our lin sport show burning hearts we had six matches and we've got a couple of guests here today on the podcast to talk all about that show fight night aftermath first of all you know him you love him he's the owner of falling star wrestling it's jimmy star how you doing buddy how's it going
0: PVC, I'm very well. Thank you very much. And this should be quite an interesting edition of the Fallen Star Wrestling Podcast. But uh, before you introduce our, our next guest, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, Fallen Star Wrestling Aftermath was a really good show for attendance. It was really busy. It was fantastic to see so many FSW uh, wrestling fans at our show, especially seeing as there was another big wrestling show in Norfolk on the same day. So people were sort of sport for choice in, uh, in Norfolk. Yeah. on that particular day but the fsw loyalists still came to our show and uh made it a, uh, a really good event, all in all.
1: I couldn't agree more. Before we jump in, are you happy to introduce our guest for the podcast, Jimmy Starr?
0: Well, if we have to, yeah. I mean, it's uh, he's on the line, so we might as well introduce him. I just want to uh, tell the listeners that I won't be offended if, if you decide to turn this podcast off the second <laughs> he is announced, but
1: it's totally down to you, really. Okie dokie. So, Falling Star Wrestling fans, you know him, you love him. He is the mouthpiece for wrestlers such as All Pro Sean Stone and the destroyer Robbie Lewis, he is the man that puts the Wakefield in Wakefield's wrestling empire. He was a guest MC for Fight Night Aftermath. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Samuel Bloody Wakefield.
2: How are you doing, Sam? Yeah, pretty rough actually. But you know, I'm a trooper, so I'm here for it. Um I'd just like to say, what a pleasure. It must be for you two to have me on the show. I know last time I appeared on the Falling Star Wrestling podcast, the numbers were through the roof. The feedback was 100% positive, And the demand for me to come back has been astronomical. So here I am for the people lending you two old boys a hand. So, yeah, you're welcome.
0: To be honest with you, Sam, until you mentioned it, I don't ever remember you actually ever being on the podcast before, so you must have left a hell of an impression. And also, what's wrong with you? Why are you feeling under the weather? Are you uh, just come on your period or something?
2: I'm not here to really divulge my private life to you, Jimmy. I think you're the last person I'd probably want to um, discuss anything like that with.
0: Um, i be all so over yeah. Facebook. Probably. probably.
2: All right, so you guys, uh,
1: before you get into a little bit of a fight and a bit of a scuffle, um, you guys were both there at the Westland Sports and Social Club for Fight Night Aftermath. You guys have watched the matches back. You were probably there watching them live, especially you, Samuel. You were there, kind of front seat. Uh, you were in one of the matches as well. So are you happy to give your thoughts and feelings on the matches coming from it from a more, let's say, sort of managerial role? You'll be able to give your thoughts and feelings from that perspective, right, Sam?
2: Absolutely. That is what I'm here for, yes.
1: Okay, right. Okay, so you guys happy to jump on in and talk about the first match? Yeah, let's go.
2: Let's do it. Awesome stuff.
1: So, we opened up Fight Night Aftermath in November with match number one. This is Furo versus Ollie Cole. Furo is first to come down to the ring for this opening contest, and it seems odd seeing Furo without that limitless title, but regardless, He kind of looks ready to kick some teeth out. Next down to the ring is his challenger, Oli Cole. The referee rings the bell, and our event at Wesleyan gets into full swing. The pair trade holes to start off with. Furo showing that he's still got life in the old dog, yet Oli Cole comes back and takes the wrist of the vampire. Furo attempts a monkey flip, but the lightning Oli Cole is just too fast and lands on his feet. After an exchange of moves ends in a stalemate. That's not often a thing that you mention when talking about Furio. Normally, he's very dominant early on. Ollie snaps off a swinging head scissor and takes Furo to the outside. Cole lines up a dive after hitting a baseball slide, and that's the first mistake of the match by the youngster as Furo finds Cole with his fist and drops Cole on the merch table for good measure. Furo tries to wrap things up early, but Ollie kicks out. The Kung Fu Vampire then works on Ollie's legs, trying to take the bounce out of the Lightning Oli Cole more torture as Furo performs a painful looking submission but Cole keeps his cool and stays in the game Oli makes a comeback and chops Furio I think he's just made his second mistake of the match as the crazy Furo retaliates with a spin kick to the midsection and a very loud chop of his own and I bet Oli is regretting chopping Furio uh, this early in the match Furo looks like he's going to go for a razor's edge but Cole manages to get around him and plants Furo in in the center with a tornado DDT from the corner. It took a second to set it up, but he nailed it, and now it's Ollie's chance to make a comeback. Ollie gets some cheeky jabs in, then uses his speed and agility to get around the back of Furio. Uh, then a swift drop kick puts Furio directly into six one nine territory. It nails Furio, and then when Oli uh, tries to gain momentum, it is stopped because Furio is just one step ahead. Ollie goes for a ride and is thrown halfway across the ring with that Razor's Edge or Border Toss that he tried earlier on, but much to Furio's dismay, Ollie kicks out and is looking worse for wear. Angrily, Furio tosses Cole one more time, but this time pulls the head up before the referee counts to three. Furio is not done punishing Oli Cole just yet. Furio lines up the death nail, but Cole ducks and kicks and lands a super kick of his own. The vampire is down, but not for the three count. Oli comes rushing in for the lightning spin kick, but Furio is able to dodge the attack. This is met with a Kung Fu kick by Furio. And as Oli tries to leap off the middle rope, the kick alongside a devastating Impaler DDT puts the young Ollie Cole away. Furo wins this opening contest. And as our guests, we like to treat them very well. I'm gonna throw this over to Mr. Samuel Bloody Wakefield for your roundup and review of this first match featuring Ollie Cole and Furo. Your thoughts, sir.
2: Thank you very much. Don't get used to this because this is not this pattern is not going to follow. But I don't have a huge amount to say about this opening match. I I, I enjoyed it. I hopefully not too many people listen to this, but I I really like Ollie Cole to be fair. I, would, I could definitely see him slotting into, you know, a stable at some point one day and sort of really being elevated to the next level. But I like Oli Cole. I like his character. I think he, he's probably the top baby face, or one of the top, um, sorry, Jimmy, <coughs> in the company. Furio is where, like, we're not going to see much change to Furio's character if that's what we're talking about, character development and stuff. I never used to really understand Furio's sort of, gimmick the first few times I saw it, but I love it now. And yeah, I, I thought it started off well. It, it was nicely paced. Yeah, that is about all I've really got to say on that, but said, please, I've got a lot more to say about these other upcoming matches. So just take this as a treat.
1: We're well, just easing you in slightly. Hey, Sam. Yeah, Just, you know, just, just slowly, but surely we'll start to lube things up and ramp things oh. up. But I know a man that's got plenty to say, Jimmy Starr, what did you reckon to this first match, mate?
0: I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Um, you know the, the, it's been a while really since we've seen Furio in a match which has been sort of st- structured in that sort of traditional wrestling match kind of sense. I suppose what I mean by that is is by letting Oli Cole get a nice decent shine in, then go into a beat down and then a comeback and a go home. Furio' has been kept very strong for the past year. So he's had a lot of sort of squash matches or he's had a lot of matches with which had to have some sort of potentially weird finishes or hardcore matches or things like that. So I think it's the first time for quite a while that, that Fury has had a chance to really sort of just sink his teeth into just a, a sort of good, solid opening wrestling match. And the, I thought the story was there. Like Sam said, Ollie is probably one of the top sort of baby faces in in falling star wrestling and he is a baby face in the very traditional sense of the word he's total white meat baby face like he's extremely popular there's you can like his character is as such where there's not a bad bone on his body he's an underdog he fights from underneath and it's very easy to get sympathy on him i think if there was anything that i would say that's looking at it and sort of reviewing the footage back that that I might change his first match on the show early in the card. They went and sort of fought outside of it and there was, a, there was a slam on the merch table and stuff like that. Probably didn't really need that in the first match. We know how vicious Furio is. We know how feral he can be. He probably was just a little bit of overkill with that, that little spot. But obviously that's a small thing. It's not like it didn't work. It's just it, it didn't really have any sort of point in that particular match. And also uh, making a bit of a habit now of, of doing the, the what would be the best finish slightly earlier than his finish. Because where well, Oli Cole jumped off the middle rope, however, however it went, I think it was a springboard, he jumped off the middle rope and then Furio caught him with that beautiful sort of kung fu kick straight to the head. From my position where I was stood in the hall, that looked awesome. I don't know where it looked from areas of the hall, but that looked really good. And that got an amazing reaction from the crowd because they didn't see it coming. If he'd have sort of pinned Ollie after that, cinched him up, one, two, three. I think it would have elevated the momentum of the finish a little bit. As it went, he picked him up and just gave him the DDT, which was a touch flat. But as a sort of heel going over, those quick wins out of nowhere can sort of elevate the baby face a bit more because it's not like they've been just beaten. It's, It's come out of nowhere. It's experience that has that has bested him and and that's that's where the story could have been sort of told in that match that Furio caught him because of those that years of experience and with that with his martial arts technique, bang, he could have just you caught him with that kick, one, two, three, and that doesn't really do any harm to Ollie. I don't think the loss did a great deal of harm to him, but it's just that 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 move really got a good reaction. I know the finish is your finish and you sort of discuss it at the end and Sometimes it's more hassle to change it on the fly than it is just to go with the plan. But sometimes when you're in a position to really elevate your match, you should call an audible and just go, right, yeah, that's stay down, Ollie. That's the finish. That was cool. But it, 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 that's the only sort of feedback I'll give. It was a really solid opener, I
1: thought. Yeah, I think if you can kick off a show in the right way, I think it does a lot of heavy lifting for the rest of the show as well. And they did a lot of heavy lifting for this show. I thought they can, uh, they kicked things off with the right type of match. you got the super over baby ta- uh, babyface as we've discussed. you got a kick-ass heel just beating up the face until he gets that comeback that was nice. Normally, I think on certain shows, you'd have the heroic babyface overcome that dastardly heel in the first match. But in this case, Furio, he picked up the wing. And I don't think it matters too much like you alluded to there, Jimmy. Ollie's in this sort of state in his career where I'm not really 100% sure whether wins and losses are as important as just going out there, getting experience and just having great matches. And I thought this was one of his better matches because he's coming off of this sort of trio of matches that he had with the Dark Wolf that have really bolstered Oli Cole, really made him more and more popular. It's given him more and more confidence and this is going to do something similar to that. Unfortunately, he didn't pick up the win but you never know. He's going to keep getting back up uh, and especially like somebody like Furio. Furio's not going to back down from a fight so we could see a really great trio of matches out of these guys if that's the way that you want to go down it. But just think of the last time that Furio wrestled Oli. It was an Absolute massacre, and mainly because it was Ollie's first match. And just the leaps and bounds that Ollie's made since early on in his career probably about a year ago you can just see the confidence, you can see the knowledge, you can see it's really being absorbed into his brain, into his body. And he's really starting to slowly catch on to the business and making his points in the match count. He's doing things that people really like to see and he's doing them in the right place. And yes, he is working with really good people like Furio. So you're always going to pick up so many good things from working with people like that. And Furio, I like it when he's just kicking ass, taking names, he was doing exactly that. I liked the introduction of a few new moves. I liked his like border toss or razor's edge thing. I thought that was cool. I thought they had a nice balance between Furio just looking really dominant whilst also not completely burying Ollie. I thought that was well planned. In my opinion, I love the character of Furio, but I think after dropping the Limitless title, I think it could be a good time for the Furo character to start to make a few small changes, just a minor, minor changes, just evolve the character a little bit. He's been this very same character for quite some time, but I don't know what that character could be because he's already ruthless, he's already angry, he's already sadistic. I just don't know what it could be, but I think adding on these nice little sort of trinkets to the Furo character could be really good thing because he doesn't have that uh, limitless title around his waist anymore so i think he could change a little bit and start to really make some waves in falling Star wrestling but you know that's up to his character that's up to the booking committee to to do that sort of stuff but we shall see on that one but then in terms of ollie he's exactly where he needs to be doing exactly what he needs to do and then further down the line i'm sure he's going to introduce new elements to his character but you know, for now he's a plucky underdog who takes an ass beat in and just walks away with with his head held high. And considering the match, I thought it was really good. It was nice overall, had a nice flow, like Sam said, everyone had a chance to shine. And in hindsight, it was the perfect spot on the card because I thought it kicked off the show with a bang.
0: Most definitely, like what you said. I mean, I don't know how long back it was that Ollie wrestled Furio in his first match. It was about eighteen months, would you say? Something like that.
1: I think it was maybe a year or, yeah, just over a year if if that.
0: Think how good he's going to be in another two years. Think how good he's going to be in five, six years. He's another one of the uh, FSW Academy trainees who really does have the the world at his feet if he wants it. The thing he just needs to carry on doing is absorbing as much information as he can, learning from people that have got more experience than him, and just keep training hard because there's no job in the world that you don't get better at through repetition. And training is not just a thing you do so you can learn how to bump and roll. It's an ever-evolving thing. And there's people who've been coming to the Falling Star Wrestling Academy for nearly a decade now who are still learning things. And every time I get in the ring, I I still learn something. The training is a huge part of your self-improvement when it comes to a wrestler. So I think it's going to be very important to him going forward that he doesn't lose sight of what, He's going to keep making him improve.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think 2024 is going to be the year of lightning Oli Cole. He's going to be one to watch out for. But speaking of people to watch out for, I think Samuel Bloody Wakefield's going to have a little bit more to say about this next match because we went into match number two. We had... The Wakefield Wrestling Empire consisting of Sean Stone, Robbie Lewis and newcomer Sebastian Armstrong all flanked by the mouthpiece the manager Samuel Bloody Wakefield versus the wild one Ash Andy Stone and cousin Lenny. The WWE coming down this evening as a foursome adding a new member Sebastian Armstrong to their fold. And I'm sure you'll tell us all about this new acquaintance Samuel in a few moments. Their opponents are a couple of FSW Academy hopefuls in Andy Stone and Wild One Ash. They aren't alone, though, as they bring some muscle to take on the Empire this evening. Their partner is none other than FSW debutante, cousin Lenny, coming right off the ranch and straight out of Fight Factory Wrestling. Lenny is ready to provide a bit of experience and muscle to the team of youngsters. The WWE were not expecting this, so they're going to try way anyway to combat Lenny and his mates. Sean Stone starts the match with Wild One Ash lock up. Stone takes the wrist, but Ash quickly gains control. Stone uses his wits and slips around the back and takes Ash to the ground and grabs the head, but Ash is one step ahead and grabs the head of Stone and tags in Cousin Lenny. Lenny makes Stone eat the canvas with a drop toe hold, followed by what can only be described as riding Sean Stone like a horse, in the middle of the ring. Lenny was loving it, and the WWE were not amused. Just with those two moves alone, the FSW audience are already sold on cousin Lenny. Lenny drops the leg across Sean Stone and then tags in Andy Stone, the son of Sean Stone. Father Stone wants none of his son and decides to tag in the destroyer, Robbie Lewis. Young Stone evades Lewis and then leaps over the ropes into a sunset flip, trying to pin the larger Lewis. However, Lewis hangs on and grabs Stone from the ground. Stone still manages to evade capture until his luck runs out and is squashed in the corner by Robbie Lewis. Next, Armstrong comes into the fray, nailing Andy with a decent-looking clothesline. Simple and effective tag team work work from the WWE keeps Stone, the younger, unable to tag his mates. Stereo headbutts from Armstrong and Lewis take Stone down. Notice that Father Stone is yet to get in and take on his son. Armstrong continues to wail on Andy with a stretch in the middle and then crushing him in the corner with a splash. Andy Stone at this stage really needs to make the tag. Lewis and Armstrong try to crush Stone between them, but the snappy Stone manages to evade and the two big brutes just run into one another. This creates space for Andy to make the tag. In comes Lenny, like a man possessed, tackling Sean Stone to the ground and kicking anything he sees that are in WWE colors. Distracted, cousin Lenny tries to pick up Armstrong, but seeing as the man is about as big as a car, Lenny struggles. This allows Sean Stone to run defense and rough up the cowboy from behind. This ends with Lenny taking the STO, but kicking out at two. Now, the WWE are taking their frustrations out on Cousin Lenny, using their numbers to their advantage. Lenny spots an, uh, an opening and hoists the destroyer Robbie up and over him with a fallaway slam, which looks very impressive. Lenny makes it over to his corner to tag in Ash, but the referee was not looking and did not spot the tag. As the referee is trying to get some order in the other corner, Wakefield, our man on the podcast, tries to pass the briefcase to Robbie Lewis to finish off Cousin Lenny. But in the commotion, somehow, the case ends up hitting Sean Stone on the head and he takes a tumble. This allows enough time for Lenny to hop up, hit the Death Valley driver and secure the win for his team. The WWE fight between themselves, while the winners, MC and referee all have a massive hug fest in the middle of the ring now samuel you couldn't have been happy with this result
2: let us know your thoughts on this match and tell us all about it mate no no i wasn't happy with the result you described yourself exactly what happened and it's becoming a bit of a reoccurring theme where robbie is given an order he doesn't listen or he resists and then in somewhere or another that ends up leading to some sort of communication error and it's cost us a match at the end of the day. I've spoke to Robbie privately. He's definitely on notice at the moment. We're keeping a very close eye on him. But I'll get to him a bit more later. As far as the other guys, the, the two young lads coming out, Ash and Andy, there's, there's not many things in wrestling that you can control. There's only a few things. A lot of things are out of our control. But your presentation as a wrestler, that is all on you. So I would say to the younger lads, Get in shape. If you was a gymnast, if you went football training, swimming, anything like that, you would be putting in some time in the gym to make sure that you were the fastest swimmer or the best at whatever you do. Try and make yourself look more like a pro wrestler. I know they're young. I get that. But these are some of the things. uh, Character development. The problem is, if you look at an Ollie Cole, who we've just all praised... Is it, it if you're an Andy Stone or an Ash, you're you're directly competing with an Ollie Cole. And he's pretty much cornered the market as a white meat, good-looking young baby face. We've all got access to YouTube, social media. You know, I've got my own separate social media just for Samuel Bloody Wakefield. Why aren't these kids doing that? I don't know who Andy Stone is, other than all pro Sean Stone's son. We're seeing a few little nuances, but. Just start really thinking about who you are as a wrestler and how you're going to stand out more. Because if you just keep coming out looking like Academy boys, then people are only ever going to perceive you as Academy boys and you're never going to get to that next level. Why is someone going to cheer you over an Ollie Cole? The other guy coming out I'd never seen before, great big guy, sort of doing a... A hillbilly gym gimmick would that be fair to say i
1: think he was a cowboy but yeah we'll go with that yeah
2: was he a cowboy okay well i, I, I found it a bit confusing I, I i know i personally my own philosophy is try and keep your gimmick as close to your real character and just you know as someone once said just turn the volume up to 11 yeah i wasn't a huge fan of a sort of hillbilly jimping but the guy was in great shape he was massive maybe i misconstrued or misinterpreted the gimmick but I, uh, yeah he, he was certainly entertaining i think it's something kids would love that kind of character sebastian the new guy in the wwe who was on a tryout basis in this match i, I this is going to sound like contradiction now and i'm not just picking him up because he could potentially be one of our guys but I liked his look. I thought it was great that he took his shirt off because you can see the actual size of him. He didn't try and cover up and look like one of these indie guys in tights and a T-shirt. My advice to him before we went through the curtain was try to come out like a rhino. Look like you're on the brink of exploding. Use your mannerisms to try and get across that intensity. But he, he came out quite laid back. He did like a Randy Orton pose, which is, look, I... If you look at Samuel Bloody Wakefield, the first time he came out with All Pro Sean Stone, it was nothing like the presentation I have now. So his, his first, first go round, it's going to be hard for him to take all these directions on board. But I guess this is why you do the podcast. But I felt like this is his first shot on a show. He's been ripping people's heads off in training. I wanted to see him coming out screaming, spitting, kicking the ropes like a caged animal. He can't wait to get in there. And... um rip somebody limb from limb. But overall, I liked his look. I, he didn't do a lot, and I think that was good, but I think everything he did do looked pretty decent and pretty impactful. As far as the match went, I thought it was a good technical sort of little start, but the only thing is it was pretty much an identical start to the first match, Robbie and Ollie Cole. When Andy Stone was tagged in, and then Sean peeled out, didn't he, and tagged Robbie in. Andy appealed to the ref and said, look at the size of him. And he kind of looked a bit disheartened. And I get that could be your real response, but you're a plucky baby face. You're a one, two, three kid. You're, you sh- If anything, he should have been firing himself up, slapping himself around the head, pacing around. Come on, it's Robbie's job to get over that he's a destroyer. That's for him to put across to people. It's it's not for Andy as a baby face to be kind of almost looking like a bit of a coward, like appealing to the ref that this guy's too big for you to take on. I thought all of Robbie's stuff looked good. He's solid. He's strong. It, I, I don't have a problem with Robbie's in-ring stuff. It's his attitude. I, I don't know if if he wants to be a part of this stable anymore. He hasn't really said either way. He's kind of keeping us in the dark. But certainly his behaviour at ringside, once we go through the curtain, is not... He's not really being a team player. And all I will say is it was definitely by design that we brought in a big, strong, destroyer-like kid into this match. Because Robbie Lewis, mate, you are definitely replaceable. Don't think you're not. Sean Stone, I don't really have any... How could you have any criticism for the All-Pro Sean Stone? He, he, He gave a lot to his partners. He didn't do much. And I think that was by design. But talking about taking care of yourself fitness wise i know that sean stone's got a personal trainer if you look at him what 15 months ago compared to now he's tanned he's in better shape and how old is he 42 years old i think the young lads need to sort of look at someone like him and see that if he's doing it he's got a full-time job he's got commitments with his children and all sorts of other things if he can get there and he can make some changes to his physique at his age, then why can't the young lads?
1: Dare I say it, ever since being introduced under your wing, he's come a long way, right? We're talking about all pro Sean Stone here.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've elevated each other. I wouldn't be where I am without him and vice versa, really. We've clung on to each other for dear life in the um, treacherous sea of pro wrestling. And At first, it was just about staying afloat, getting shows and getting on the card. And I would say we're quite an integral part of a lot of these wrestling shows, and that's credit to both of us. And was another thing I would like to add before you rudely cut me off, PCP. That fallaway slam that Robbie Lewis took from The Cousin. I heard a conversation backstage where they said that couldn't be done. Don't do it. Go for something more simple. And both of them looked at each other and said, can you do it? And they both said they could and they did. And I popped for that. I thought that was great. On It takes a lot of effort from both men. So that was my highlight. That fallaway slam to Robbie Lewis was um, the absolute highlight.
1: I thought it was a pretty good move as well. And I would kick myself if I didn't broach the subject of the man you were just talking about there, Robbie Lewis. That miscommunication, let's say, with the briefcase, obviously that's your, I want to say, weapon. It's not really a weapon, is it's it? It's not, your... it's not a weapon. It's your luggage of choice that you somehow bring into a wrestling match. I don't know what's in there. You've never revealed what's in that briefcase, but clearly it does a little bit of damage. And you were trying every which way to try and get your team to win that match. But Robbie Lewis, he keeps slipping up and making mistakes. What's going on there? What's getting in his head? Is he not happy in the Empire?
2: He's not listening. That is his only problem. All he, He's got all the tools there. All he needs to do is shut his mouth and listen to me and... Sean Stone. Now, that briefcase is not a weapon. That's got some important legal documents in it. It's got a lot of stuff in there. So the only reason I bring that to ringside is so backstage, it doesn't fall in the wrong hands, it don't go missing. Now, I will admit sometimes when I get carried away with what's going on in the ring, the briefcase gets in the wrong hands it gets misused. I know I tried to give it to Robbie, but we are in a desperate situation. Had he have listened we could have had to win. No one can deny that. But I'm I'm not going to talk too much about Robbie Lewis. Like I said, he's replaceable. And I think he's really at a point now where he's got to make a decision. What does he want to do? Because if he's out, it's not going to be an easy exit. Once you're in the empire, you're in the empire. So if you think that you can just hand in your stuff and walk out, that's not going to happen. There's a few little things he needs to consider. My advice would be straighten up, shut your mouth and listen. But
0: The thing is, Samuel, Sam, just to sort of... Uh, I'm not sticking up for Robbie because the way he's behaved since he's been in the Empire has been, been pretty appalling. Uh, but it would be very difficult for me to trust my manager if not six weeks before my manager eliminated me from a rumble. Well, it looks to me to be a, a contrived elimination of Robbie Lewis out of the Battle Royal at, at, at Linsport at Burning Hearts. In fact, I saw the footage of it today. Uh, you quite clearly saw he was by the ropes. And you saw that he was a little bit off balance. And you lifted him over the top rope, therefore eliminating him from the match. I know a rumbles every man for himself, but if my manager did that to me, I would have probably have a bit of trouble trusting him going forward.
2: You really are an idiot, Jimmy Starr. What, sorry, what's the name of this podcast? Is it, is it the Burning Hearts Review podcast? Are we here to talk about Burning Hearts? Or are we here to talk about Fight Night Aftermath? Listen, the fact that you bring that up is just so typical of you. I, I Do you think a man my size would be able to eliminate a Robbie Lewis? I was there to try and help him make an elimination so he could secure... His place in, the, what was it, the final three, final four of that battle rule. I was down there. I couldn't see what was going on. There was legs everywhere. I got under. I gave it a good hoof. I looked up. I celebrated. And then I was horrified. If, if you really have watched the tape, then you'll see I was absolutely horrified to see that I'd eliminated poor Robbie in that situation. But, you know, you've got to move forward. It's not called the Robbie Lewis Wrestling Empire, is it? It's called the Wakefield Wrestling Empire. So if there's something he's unhappy about, well, come talk to me. That's all I'm going to say, Robbie. If you want to talk to me, come talk to me. But the way he's going at the moment.
0: I'm, I'm not here to stir the pot, Sam. I'm just made an observation. So, 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 yeah, that's obviously something that you guys are going to have to sort out as a team. But, but yeah, sort of... Um, I might as well interject my sort of thoughts on the match. I thought that bearing in mind the sort of fact that the match was mainly compromised of trainees, and in fact, Sebastian, that was his first match, as you alluded to earlier on, he's only been training for maybe six months, and he was sort of thrown into that situation in the last minute. I thought that he did incredibly well, really, you know, rather than sort of drown him in feedback. I've. Probably give each of the guys in there maybe one thing to sort of take away with them and maybe try and improve for their next match. But you know, the, Sebastian, in terms of like his strikes, I thought he delivered his strikes really well. His in ring positioning was pretty good, and the everything that 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 he seemed to need to remember, it looked like he remembered the spots and stuff. He didn't look too lost. The one thing that that I that I suppose Sam said is. Intensity, he's a big guy, he could be a real monster in falling star wrestling. There's not too many people bigger than him, but he's got quite a sort of uh kind face, let's say. So, he needs to start using that face, getting those facial expressions, just getting him big, getting him angry if he's going down that heel route, which he probably will because of his size. But he needs to start getting that sort of that aggression ramped up a little bit. Of course, it was his first match, and he was obviously just trying to get through which is absolutely fine. This is just sort of constructive feedback for the future. What I'd like to see from him is just a bit more animation, both in his facials and his body language. I think with Cousin Lenny, I'd never seen him before. He turned up at the last minute again. I know that he's a a fight factory guy. I quite liked his gimmick. I quite liked his look. The fans definitely ate him up. He He got himself over in that match which is, you know, important. That's something that some of the other guys can maybe take note of in the future if they're going to other shows and they want to make an impression. Look at what Lenny did. He didn't He didn't try and do all of his shit. He didn't try and take over the match. He just turned up, got his character over, did his bit, and the bits that he was given, he did to the best of his ability. And he got over in the process. That was cool to to see him, to have a new character in Portland Star Wrestling have a different character and to to see him get over with our crowd he sort of got the cut of our crowd's jib fairly quickly that that was good the one again bit of feedback that i'll give him is is his vocals like he had the crazy facials and the crazy body language and the movement that all seemed to sort of fit his character like that deliverance style sort of hit cowboy type guy but i couldn't hear what he was saying his vocals he was putting on like this american accent which is cool because that's what his character would have when he was giving his opponent some shit doing a bit of jaw jacking or they might be saying something funny The truth is i don't know what he was saying because like i said i couldn't hear it i always say to guys if you've got something to say in a match then say it say it as loud as you possibly can and make sure everyone in that room can hear what you're saying because otherwise it's just going to look like you're mumbling or you're going to get some smart mark in the crowd going oh they're calling spots or whatever." I sort of agree with Sam a little bit when it comes to Andy and Ash Bash. They're new, they're young, they've got a lot of opportunity to really think about their character and their look. But it's hard to book young lads like that when they still look really young. They've got to carve out a little bit of a niche for themselves in Falling Star Wrestling. Otherwise, it's a sort of waiting game until they get a little bit sort of bigger, fill out a little bit more. But they are at the the, the precisely the right age to start training. They're sort of growing, they're getting bigger, their bodies is pumping full of testosterone. It's like they're on steroids without being on steroids. If they start lifting a few weights and go down the gym and get and, and learn how to lift and you know get involved in a bit of bodybuilding, they're gonna really get big exceptionally quickly. That's sort all of training side of things is could be really beneficial to them. It's beneficial to everyone, but especially at that age, they're just they're prime for it. With Ash as well, like he, his facials, they could do with a bit more intensity, a bit more improvement. He's Again, he's he doesn't look like a wrestler in the traditional sense. But then again, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you can think of a direction to take it. And that's probably his next step. He can do sort of the simple moves. He can be led through a match. He can put the simple spots together. it's just trying to now think of a little bit of a direction that he wants to take his character in. Um, as for the match structure, it seemed to go on for a very long time, and there was sort of two sets of heat in it, which I don't think the match needed. I think everyone could have got over with the match being sort of cut in half, really. With a three-on-three match, a lot of the a lot of the time is going to be built around entrances. So the you even got a couple of options, really. Either get yourselves out there and start the match or cut the match down a little bit and focus on your character or focus on the entrances. So the the, the structure there could have been improved. The heels just get themselves over by being assholes and mean and bumping and feeding for the baby faces. But as if Ash would have got in the ring first, got himself over, Andy would have taken the heat and then maybe he would have come in at the end and cleared house and got his finisher in, they would have still got everyone over as long as they were sort of doing their apron work and not forgetting about the psychology of the match and that it could have been a lot snappier in in that respect. But I think where the match was good is it did get two new people over in their respective role. So two new characters were in falling stars in that day and they both left with the crowd, sort of invested in them, which is quite a hard thing to do even if you're quite experienced. So what did uh, what do you think, PVC?
1: I thought, in essence, there was not really anything wrong with the match. For a Westland show, I thought it did a lot of things right, and like you guys mentioned there, there was a few things wrong from my perspective. I'll start with the positive. I thought it was a great way to introduce the fans to Cousin Lenny. I actually saw his character wrestle at a Fight Factory show last month, and I just thought he was a real standout for that company. I thought he's got such a kind of lovable, endearing character, and I knew that would resonate with the Falling Star Wrestling fans, and I think the FSW fans seemed to welcome him as one of their own because they don't often do that from people outside of the sort of Norfolk area. They're normally a little bit hesitant on that, but I thought they got right in there with Cousin Lenny and that was really cool. Good stuff. And the introduction of Sebastian Armstrong was also pretty good. Yeah, he's green. It's his first match, but this match type and the match structure really suited him really well. And he was given a few things to do and what he did do, he did pretty well, which is all you can really ask for. When you're looking at people who are having their first matches, you look at things like positioning, selling, and just confidence. And Sebastian Armstrong seemed to have those down pretty well given what he had to do. There's always work that needs to be done and Jimmy and Sam, you've given him some pretty good feedback. So I thought for this segment, he did himself pretty proud. I thought Andy and Ash on the other side, you know, they're, they're good in that underdog trainee role. And I quite like the visual of them tagging with Lenny. You've got this kind of massive lumbering cowboy who's somewhat naive mixed with that excited youthful energy. It's a team that I can imagine fans would really want to root for. So that was nice. There was just a few things that needed tightening up. First off, it was timing. Like you mentioned there, Jim, it, may not have run over too much. I don't think the match went long. It just felt a little bit long and it was down to that hot tag and that second heat as well. I thought everything was done really well leading up to that first hot tag. And then when Lenny came in, like a man possessed, that was awesome. He looked great. The audience, they were ready to absolutely burst at the seams just to see him go and knock everyone down and just go on an absolute roll. But he got cut off too, too soon. And it it was a little bit of a weird moment because it felt like the match reset itself again and it felt like we were back at the beginning and that's what made me think that the match was really long because we'd built up we'd built up we got the hot tag we're ready to go home we're on the we're on the home stretch and then boom we've gone way back to the beginning and it just made it feel like all of that hard work building up to the hot tag just fizzled away which is a real shame because I felt myself as an audience member I was excited to see the hot tag I smiled when it all came together but it just sort of felt like the carpet was pulled from underneath me a little bit too soon and I think the crowd felt that as well and um, just a sort of a really small thing for Andy on that hot tag thing, like moving out of the way when Armstrong and Lewis were going to squash you for the hot tag. I thought that was a really great idea. It looked really good. It was a really good idea for a double down spot. I just think next time, if you'd have dived the other way, because essentially he dived right in front of Cousin Lenny, if he'd have dived the other way, it would have given him more room to kind of crawl for that hot tag. But the way it kind of landed, it just looked up it was right close by, and then there wasn't that anticipation to get the tag right away. But, you know, for people that are in their first, second, third matches, you can't really ask too much from them. And they did exactly what they needed to do. There was no real mess-ups. Nobody got hurt. They nailed all the vital parts of the match. Just get that hot tag finish, uh, and you, you've you've nailed the nailed the match, in my opinion. That was my thoughts. I'm going to throw it to you, Sam. You got anything else you want to say? Because you're in this match. How did you feel like you performed, mate?
2: Look, I, I always perform excellently people will tell you that inside and outside of wrestling so I don't need any critiquing from you two idiots but but I will agree with you as far as a wrestling match there's nothing wrong with it being just steak and chips sometimes that works and I can very much feel it when I'm at ringside when a match is reaching a natural climax and when the crowd are ready to pop it does happen too often in not in full Star, but in all of wrestling like we don't have to give everything every time so you can have a an abc simple match that doesn't that doesn't mean it has to be a quick squash match or anything but it like you said it it, it should have ended earlier than it did i think we the time, we went a bit over on time but i guess that's down to a bit more <laughs> When guys are planning their matches out, I don't know, Jimmy. If if someone, one of the elders, needs to oversee it and step in and say, "That's enough there. The rest of it, yeah. I, save I, save that for another time."
0: I think there's an element of that, maybe a little bit of ageing, but also that there's there's probably more of a uh, call for for the referee to to get to clue the referee in a little bit more and get them to wear a watch with a timer on it, because if if they yeah. give you time cues. Then, uh, then you're not going to go too far wrong. It's just that then you do have to listen to the referee, don't you? That's when you have to turn around. Okay, okay, let's just get to the finish or whatever. There's probably more of a shout for the referees in future to to keep on the time, maybe.
2: Right. So basically, you're taking all the responsibility and onus off of yourself and trying to blame the poor ref (laughs) for why this match didn't quite work. Well, I mean, it a, did work. As a
0: referee, as a guest referee on this show who was being oh. designed very proficiently, what well, all I've is given my experience so that. People can learn in the future. I can't introspectively go back and change anything that happened on the show. It's just, it's just a bit of advice. It, I, I suppose it's, a, it's the same as me saying that, that a manager probably shouldn't throw his talent out of a battle and then expect him to trust him six weeks down the line. We can all... Hindsight's a wonderful thing.
2: Moving on to the next match then, guys. <laughs> You said it there.
1: We went on to match number three at Fight Night Aftermath. Jaden Scar comes down to the ring and grabs the microphone and regales the story of how he put the Dark Wolf, Matt Walters on the injured reserve list at Linsport and talks about how he should be the rightful number one contender for the Falling Star Wrestling title. Scar then puts out a challenge to the boys in the back. Out comes Alex Miller to take on the next level. Before MC Danny Fear can even announce it's Miller, Jaden cuts him off and cuts His music off as well. Scar then makes a statement saying that he's beaten Miller and deserves bigger and better competition. So, next out comes the creature from the swamps, Crowley. Jaden looks a little less confident now. Jaden then does the same thing to Crowley and cuts his music early too. Scar says that Crowley is still not on Jaden's level and wants somebody else. This prompts PVC, that's me, to come down to the ring and try to knock Jaden Scar down a peg or two. But seeing as though there are four wrestlers in the Ring, why not make it a fatal four way and see if Jaden Scar can handle this? The match is made and gets underway with all four men in the ring. The attention soon goes towards Jaden Scar at first, who promptly jumps out of the ring trying to evade the other three men. Myself and Crowley, we work over Jaden on the outside as he's trying to escape. We run his head into the door and generally just bash him around on the outside. That's until we're met with a flying Alex Miller who comes diving off the ring onto all. All three of us on the outside. A dive attempt by me is stopped as Jaden rolls into the ring and nails a leg lariat. And Miller and Crowley battle on the outside. A kick for the others is administered by Jaden Scar, who then hops back into the ring to suplex me, kick and slam my limbs into the canvas. Scar calls for the pedigree, but I spin out, hit the ropes, hold onto the ropes. Jaden runs in for the low bridge, takes a tumble to the outside, and now I spot my chance to finish what I started earlier and do a. Big old flip dive to the outside and take out all three guys waiting there. Scar is then rolled into the ring, met with a side effect, a forearm in the corner, a bulldog. Meanwhile, Big Hoss Crowley enters the ring and just bulldozes me over with kicks and elbows. A sidewalk slam takes me out for a while. This allows Alex Miller to come in and land a few quick moves on Crowley, ending in a wheelbarrow bulldog. This all comes to a very abrupt end when Jaden Scar brings in the steel chair and just whacks Alex Miller across the back. Of course, being a fatal four way match, there is no disqualification. So technically, this was legal. Scar rocks Miller with the pedigree, but Jaden then decides to lift Miller's head off of the ground and wants to make him tap out with the cross chicken wing. Miller gets a second win and bundles Scar into the corner. Scar is then met with several running attacks, first by me, then Crowley, and then the pair of us team up and hip-toss Alex Miller on top of Jaden Scar in the corner. Scar then nails a disaster kick on all three of us, and we're all down for the count. A TKO is countered. I'm pushed away into an awaiting Crowley who slams me into next year with a spine buster. Miller hits the Famouser, but is stomped into oblivion by Scar. I then pop up, hit Nail Scar with the TKO 1... 2 no Scar kicks out in the nick of time. Crowley eats a codebreaker. Miller nails a Tornado DDT on me whilst kicking Scar in the process. Meanwhile, Alex Miller charges at Scar in the corner, nails him with a running forearm. He tries it again, but this time, as he's charging in full speed across the ring, Jaden nails a picture-perfect superkick, which catches Alex Miller right in the face. And if that wasn't bad enough, Scar picks up Miller and finishes off what he started earlier, and locks in the crossface chicken wing and sadly alex miller has no choice but to tap out Jaden scar wins this fatal four-way match now should we throw it to jimmy star first what do you reckon jim
0: i, I suppose it's to take it in two parts really we'll go for the match first like i thought it was i thought it was pretty good the the match was only sort of put together as a four-way an hour or two before the show starts and We've said many times before, PVC that three-way matches, four-way matches are incredibly difficult to put together, especially on the spare at the moment, because the more people that are involved in that match, the more you need to sort of structure and plan the match to to get it to tell some kind of coherent story. Otherwise, it sort of just turns into a sort of a bit of a clusterfuck and a brawl. So considering how much time you guys had to put it together and to be able to execute it i thought you guys did really well there was quite a lot of excitement in there you know you did a little bit on the outside you did a little, some decent running spots there was some good power stuff dynamic explosive stuff from you and Jaden. and like that. everyone's strengths <clears throat> were seen in that match you've got everyone's sort of individual characters over And I think that, again, is, is is important for the trainees to look at that match and see that how much your character and personality matters when you're telling the story because you had four completely different characters in that match, which gave you so much more material to play with in terms of the direction that you wanted to take it. And again, everyone had their own sort of speciality, if, if that makes sense. The well-defined characters just give you so much more scope to to be able to craft something special. And also, it's more exciting for the crowd as well because the crowd have got their favourites, people they hate, people they love, and people that they want to see win and people that they don't. So you can generate a lot of excitement. Um, There was some sort of good moves, some good falsies in the end, a few little mistimed bits. There was just sort of... Jaden went running around the ring at some point to try and find you guys for a disaster kick, which looked quite funny. You kept turning to try and get Jaden to hit you and then... He obviously thought he wanted he wanted him to hit the other way, so he ran the ropes. Then you turned back on himself. It was a bit like a, a bit of a trouble Brothers skit there, but it was funny. I mean, it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like a you know a fuck up of doom because you, you in the end the move got hit and it was fine. But it just made me laugh. Like I just I could almost hear the Benny Hill music going around the ring as, as jaden was running around trying to catch it. The match actually for where it was, for how long you had to plan it, it was a credit to you to be able to to structure something fairly coherent together. I like the finish as well. I like the fact that as soon as Jaden got that chicken wing on Alex, he tapped straight away. Jaden held on for a little bit longer. He really got over the severity of how badly that move is or how much it's meant to hurt, which is great. And there's this sort of other part of of the match was the promo really sort of setting it up. And I just, I think that was the thing for me that was a little bit, a little bit laborious. It just seemed to go on for a long time and the, well, the things that I was sort of looking at when I was well, thinking when I was looking at the promo, which was rectified right at the very end, but it, it didn't end up happening. But I thought, fuck me, the crowd are going to think that it's a three-on-one. Do you know what I mean? Because Jaden's just basically sort of rubbishing the, the the wrestlers that are coming out. And why wouldn't all three of them just kick his ass? But luckily, you saw, I think it was you, BBC was the last one to come out. You rectified the promo and got it, sort of sewed it all up and then G'd it up as a, as a four-way. But then there was a sort of that part of me which thought, fuck, the crowd are going to be a bit disappointed now that they're not going to see Jaden get his ass handed to him. And I know that you, again, you rectified that in the match, but the promo just didn't have a great deal of direction or clarity for me. And I know that jaden has got the sort of gimmick at the moment where people hate to hear him talk. Let's have him talk to get some heat. I just thought that the promo was a little bit confusing and just sort of lacked lacked direction and again went on for quite some time. So the the promo could have done with being a bit tighter. I thought the match at some points in terms of the crowd was a tiny bit quiet. I don't think that it was anything bad. And again, four ways are sometimes quite hard for for the crowd to be able to follow. So the the semblance of that sort of story is going to be lost anyway. So it's going to be a little bit quiet, but maybe it was the promo that sort of took the wind out of the crowd a little bit, plus the first half was going on quite long anyway.
1: Yeah, I don't really disagree. I think in hindsight, there were definitely things we could have improved in the match, but it's one of those things, isn't it? When you've only got a certain amount of time to plan it, you just go in there and you do with it what you can. And to make it a fatal four-way, I thought... I thought it was a decent thing to do. We don't often do many of those. Rather than just making it a scheduled match, we tried to kind of lay out a story before the match even started. And I quite like that bit. But whether it got over, whether we told that story correct, I don't know. Did we really need that first Jaden Scar promo? Probably not. We discussed that in the back afterwards. We could have achieved what we wanted to without that first promo. We could have had Jaden come out and then Miller comes out to challenge and then Jaden's like, no, nah, I want more. And then just got the match moving a little bit quicker. Initially, I wasn't going to cut the promo to set up the fatal four-way match, but I'm definitely glad I did because it did make sense after it was all said and done. I think it actually kind of g the crowd up a little bit more. That was probably a good idea to do that. It's difficult, like you alluded to there, Jimmy. Three-way matches are hard. Four-way matches are even harder. I think it was nine Nice to have Alex Miller in there because we could have easily have just had Jaden Scar versus PVC versus Crowley and had sort of three FSW top guys go in there. But I think it was nice to add in an Alex Miller to go in there, hang with us. Hopefully, he learns something from this match and we'll be able to take this on and really sort of progress his career. It was a difficult task from the get-go. Do I think we nailed it? Not 100%, but I think we did the best with what we had. I I quite enjoyed the match, I enjoyed being in the match, and it was actually really enjoyable having something to do with some really completely different people. It's probably been years since i worked that closely with Jaden Scar, and as much as the FSW people uh, and audience hate him, I thought it was a really cool experience. He's got loads of ideas. Uh, loads of great ideas as well. He knows his character inside and out. Crowley's exactly the same. Working with Crowley's always a pleasure. So those two put together, we just had tons and tons of ideas coming at him and we just had to mix all of these ideas bouncing around and put them into a a sort of a cohesive match and after the match we all seemed pretty happy we produced a a sort of a a decent little segment, it wasn't perfect and we had a a nice frank discussion about it in a positive way and I think that's really good if you can all come back and sort of have an idea of how you could improve it and, and not be down on the match and 80% maybe of the choices that we made I thought worked out, we probably needed maybe another 5-10 minutes discussion in the locker room but nobody got hurt nobody got upset I was pleased about that and if I have another chance to work those three guys again I'm sure it's going to be another fun night an easy night in the office again if it's not a four-way match because as we alluded to they're very very hard um, now Sam you've been pretty quiet this
2: whole time I'm going to throw it over to you what do you reckon to this fatal four-way match I'm sure you've got plenty to say yeah I, I have to address the Jaden promo you two have pretty much hit the nail on the head what I'm really going to do is try and add some constructive criticism, maybe some tips. I know Jaden's been doing this a lot longer than me, but when the crowd are chanting boring before you've even started talking, maybe maybe there's something in that and maybe it's not the right kind of heat. And it means you're a repeat offender. It means the people know what they're going to get. And I, and I get what Jaden's doing, that kind of I'm in control, not you, methodical, almost like triple H sort of attitude era type promo. So I think that he needs to, for pace and the cadence could be just tweaked where we're getting exactly what he's aiming for. Jaden raised a really good point at the start of his promo. He said that you've booed Matt Walters all year. And as, as soon as he faces me at burning hearts, you cheer him. He then went on to call the crowd fickle. Now this is where I feel like he missed a trick. Because in my opinion, I would have said, is that how much you really hate me? You've booed this guy all year, and he faces me, and I've been here since day one, and then then you choose to cheer him over me? By calling the crowd fickle, really you're kind of putting the heat and the attention on the crowd. And I want to keep the attention and the heat on me, or Jaden. But that's a very minor thing. Jaden does pause for the crowd to heckle, but he doesn't really seem to have any f- scathing comebacks I'll stand here all night is something we've heard Jaden say a lot I mean, my advice would be buy an old joke book or watch some old 80s sitcoms if you're struggling for zingers and just have a few in your back pocket and when someone says something the chances are if you've read that on the toilet or if you something will come to mind that you'll say that you can say better than that and so obviously he did that promo it did feel long Miller came out, he then did another promo, Crawley come out, he did another promo, and then you came out, and you, give you credit, you did pick up the energy, I think, PVC, you always get a great reaction, it makes me feel sick to say this, but you bring energy, people know who you are, what you're about, it does make me wonder, if you hadn't been held down all this time by Jimmy Starr. Like you probably have a pretty decent singles really, but eventually he's going to kick the bucket and you'll be free to to express yourself as you really want to. But yeah, I see what he was trying to do for promo, but it all could have been done a lot quicker and a lot more concisely if he just had a few zingers and a bit of better pace and cadence. Miller, Alex Miller again, a bit like Ollie Cole. I like him. I like the, I can't put my finger on it, but I like the vibe and the energy that he brings. He's got a sympathetic look, but I'd like to know a little bit more about him. I, I, I don't know anything about him other than he comes out in a blazer and he's, a, he's an all-round sort of good guy. He, he's always got his wife and kids at the show, so he's a family man, kind of Ricky Steamboat kind of. You know, there's something there he can definitely explore because, like I say, he, like the other two, is in direct competition with an Ollie Cole who's got his shit together really just a little bit of character work but I think he gets a good response I, I, I enjoyed working with Miller when we did the whole referee gimmick and I saw that really as like a turning point for me and Sean when we worked with Miller we'd would we done a few bits and pieces before but when we had that sort of three or four match thing with Miller he was a he was perfect for us and it, it made us more hateable and it made him more loved so I, I think Yeah, I've only got good things to say about him. Crawley, I'm not going to say anything about because I've got to share a locker room with him. And quite frankly, he stinks and he scares me. So I don't want to open any kind of channel or dialogue for him to come and talk to me backstage in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's all I'm really going to say about that match. It was an exciting match. I think it worked pretty well. I I enjoyed it. I would rather seen p b c get his teeth kicked down his throat a bit more, but can't be Christmas every day, can it,
1: Jimmy? Why did we agree to have Samuel Wakefield on the podcast again? I can't remember. Was there some sort of... Is he paying us for this? Because he's starting to really get on my wig a little bit, mate.
2: Ratings. Yeah, I, th- I think it was.
0: It was more a sort of a gesture to. Well, actually, it was a dare. The dare was that uh, if you uh, get Samuel bloody Wakefield on the podcast to make complete freaking himself, I'll, uh, I'll give you fifty quid. So I'm fifty quid in the red. Uh, fifty that- quid in the red now, which is good.
2: As as usual with Jimmy, <laughs> as usual with Jimmy Star, there's a little bit of truth in his lies and I paid good money to come on this podcast. I, I don't mind. This is like a paid advertisement for me and the empire. Jimmy Star is pretty skint as we all know most of the time. I waved 50 quid at him and said, get me on your little show, Jimmy. And here I am. Let's just oh. tell the truth. I thought
1: it was more of a make a wish thing to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Arsehole. Mr. Arsehole to you. Sorry, Mr. Arsehole. (laughs) Okay, before we get too stuck in the weeds, I reckon we're going to move on to the next match. And unfortunately, we're probably going to talk about Samuel Bloody Wakefield a little bit more because after we came back from the interval, we had to enlist the help of a very special, and I'll use the word special, guest ring announcer in the way of Samuel Bloody Wakefield. How did you enjoy being the special guest ring announcer for Fight Night Aftermath, Samuel? Did you enjoy yourself, mate? You look like you were having a good time.
2: I absolutely loved it. I'd, I had to constantly remind myself that, again, less is more. rein it in. You know, you are just an MC. And I was going to be Samuel Bloody Wakefield the whole time, bury people a little bit, and, and then just try and be functional as an MC. But I, I loved it. I, and I've said this to a few people. You you can drive a long time to a wrestling show sometimes and to get seven minutes in front of a crowd and then maybe 35 to 90 seconds doing an actual promo and promos is my thing. That's what I love. Sometimes I can drive all that way and not even do a promo as, as the last weekend when I managed some young up-and-comer and a couple of other guys, I, I, I was just sort of there, like a loose part. To have the microphone for that amount of time and to be able to just sort of riff, talk to the crowd, interact, get things off my chest and have fun, That that's really what I've done in that second half of the show. That could be like seven or eight shows worth. I do, anyone should who wants to do promos, I do promos in the bath, in the mirror, in the car. But it's not the same as being out in front of a live crowd. So, yeah, I I loved it. Awesome
1: stuff. Now, Jimmy, you've emceed in the past and you've obviously got a lot invested in Falling Star Wrestling. Did Samuel Bloody Wakefield do enough to impress you as a special guest ring announcer for the second half, mate? Uh,
0: I'm going to be honest here. I thought Samuel did a very good job. I mean, I think sometimes it's fun to have a, a character based MC, And like Sam just said there, he emceed exactly as his character would. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was funny, and I thought Sam did well. And also, as as not only did he do well in terms of presenting the second half as his character, he got the rules over for the match. He he was explaining what was going on. So as his actual MC duties, which is to keep the crowd informed of what's going on and introduce people and all that sort of stuff, he he technically did a pretty good job anyway. So I I just thought it was good fun.
2: Round of applause for me.
1: There you go. Sam, your bloody Wakefield, ladies and gentlemen. And Sam, you did your job exactly what you needed to do. You introduced the next match, which was a tag team title match. Now, before the match got underway, Danny Fear announces that this match has a special guest referee. So <laughs> really laying on the layers here. we got a special guest referee, special guest ring announcer. And the referee for the match was none other than my pal, my tag team partner, good buddy, Jimmy Starr, the man that can do it all and doesn't mind getting down on the canvas and counting the three. Welcome, Jimmy Starr. How did you feel referee, in this match, putting on the stripes, buddy?
0: Oh, well, yeah, man. that Putting on that extra small referee top <laughs> like, to borrow off Danny fit. It, it was actually good fun. Refereeing's fucking hard, man. Like, really is hard. It's knackering. It's hard. You have to concentrate. Like, you have to do, like, loads of things at once. Like, you have to watch and count and so you can get on the floor and get up again and then get back down and asking people to submit and fucking relay information and check the times and so it's a lot of work it's hard but yeah it was cool just to be able to get in there and, and be involved in the show that's all I sort of wanted really I thought it would have been cool if we'd have paid it off a little bit at the end of the match by me getting a chance to do something to the, the sound whether it be a bit of a spear or something like that, it would have been nice to pay it off. But it still was a good experience. It was good fun, and yeah, I enjoyed doing it. I'd, I'd happily do it again. Obviously, not too often because it's it's cool being a tag team and getting in there. And there's nothing quite like wrestling, but it, it puts you in a position where you feel a bit vulnerable, which is good. Sometimes you can can get quite comfortable in your in your routines when you're wrestling and stuff. So it was good to sort of be out of
2: depth a little bit. Nice one. It's always good to try new things, isn't it? PVC, I'm sorry. Can I just cut in there quickly and just pull the curtain back a little bit? It's Jimmy talking about being out of his depth, out of his comfort zone a little bit there. He was out of his depth because none of us really knew if he, if he knew how to count to three. The last thing that was said to me before I went through that curtain as an MC was Jimmy Sarr put his hand on my shoulder and said, just remember... To introduce the special guest referee to the crowd. And I said, Yeah, okay, I'll do that. And he said, Don't just don't forget to tell the crowd that Jimmy Starr is ref in the second half. And I went, I won't forget. He said, Do you want me to write it down on one of your announcer <laughs> cards for you? And I said, No, I won't forget. The music hit. I went out there, I high fived some kids, made the introduction of the BCB, and then, yeah. Then as Danny took the mic, the sort of colour drained from my face and I just and as I realized I, I forgot. Within about twenty-five seconds, I forgot to introduce Jimmy Star. It wasn't a rib, Jimmy. I know you thought it might have been a rib, it wasn't. I just got carried away and you should have wrote it down for me. I so, just can't um, understand I yeah. to be that
0: fucking stupid. You know? I've got a shit memory, but I literally told you ten seconds. Before, yeah. I had three cards I, in a row and offered to fucking
1: rise You
2: did. In, yeah. You did. I got carried away. Uh, yeah,
1: well, I got excited. Oh, it was funny though. It was good. It's good to see Jimmy in the stripes. And of course, if the sound weren't annoyed already, the sound come down to the ring. Sour face to see Jimmy in the ring with the stripes alongside the BCB. The match gets underway. The BCB. Uh, unlikely for them, they're not messing around. They're not high-fiving. They're not hugging. They come at the sound with stereo drop kicks, taking Rashwood and Adams off their feet in surprise. I like this from the BCB. Danny t- uh, dives off of Toby's back, and then there's an, an assisted slice bread between the BCB boys. They're coming out swinging, and it's working so far because they've got their eyes on those Falling Star Wrestling tag team titles, and why wouldn't they be? But just when you thought the BCB might have had it all sewn up, the numbers game comes into effect. Adams distracts the referee. Rashwood pummels Danny, and Brody takes out Toby on the outside, running him into the post. Then there's a three on two. Uh, situation going on, and of course Jimmy Starr, he's being distracted by Bobby Adams. Danny then makes a leap of faith, tries to sunset flip Bobby Adams, but Rashwood makes the tag instead. Even when the sound are playing by the rules, it still looks like they're cheating. It infuriates me. The Rashwood combo is next. Snapmare, kick to the spine, running back senton, but Danny manages to stay in the game. Bobby then makes himself annoying in, distracts the referee, all while Danny had Rashwood in a pinning predicament just going to show how conniving the sound really are rashwood showing how many friends he has in real life attempting the three amigos but getting a stunner for his troubles on the third attempt bobby rushes in and tries to manhandle danny but danny fear evades and makes a desperation hot tag to toby who comes in with a flurry of strikes he goes from corner to corner landing forearms even managing to dodge a running rashwood who clatters into his teammate into the corner Bobby staggers and falls into the lap of his tag team partner in the middle of the ring. Brody on the outside looking very concerned, seeing Bobby Adams's head in Rashwood's crotch. Great spot there. Adams hits the slingshot spear. Danny hits the stunner on Adams, but Rashwood is close by and hits the German suplex on Danny Fear. Meanwhile, Bobby Adams decides to throw some shade at Jimmy Starr and nails a star KO on Toby in the middle of the ring. Jimmy Starr does not look impressed rest. Jimmy is even less impressed when the crowbar is introduced into the match. Adams grabs a weapon, but Jimmy is quick to admonish Adams, uh, but in doing so leaves the crowbar in a very convenient position right in front of Brody Knox on the outside. She spots her shot and smashes Toby with the crowbar behind the referee Jimmy Starr's back. The sound then deliver the high-low and successfully defend their tag team titles. Referee Jimmy Starr, against his better judgment, has to raise the winner's hands but you can just see there's a little bit of rage behind the eyes you can see the disgust in jimmy Starr's face sam i'm going to throw this over to you what did you think to this tag team title match mate
2: very enjoyable i just want to talk about jimmy more he should be disgusted because that performance as a referee was absolutely i don't think he could have made more mistakes or done it more wrong if he did if he'd have been paid off quite frankly but I'll, I'll get back to Jimmy and, and his antics at the end of the match for BCB versus the sound how good does Rashford look There's, again I've said about people about their sort of presentation and stuff and also about trying to keep your character as close to your real personality as possible I, I he's a perfect example of that he's just taken what his own sort of uh, real life persona is. And he's just added to it, made it a bit more arrogant. Um, got a bit of a hard on for Rashwood. I'm not going to lie. I, I just think the sound are great. It's good to see Becky back as well. She looks in great shape. Uh, I think like Becky's work on the outside like, is decent. I think it's good, but I'd like to see a little bit more skullduggery from her, like a little bit more on the fly, distracting the ref, doing a a few more bits and pieces since she's been back. We've seen her have a very big influence on the very end of the match, but throughout the match, I think she could do a bit more cheerleading, a bit more distracting, be more vocal, scream when things are going wrong, be that crazy woman protecting your man. And also to that point, George and Becky are a real life couple. So why they've got such an opportunity there to interact more. Could we see her jump up and give him a slap around the face when he needs firing up? They could be more physical. They could kiss when they win. I, I just think there's something there which is untapped as far as their sort of dynamic of their relationship goes. Bobby's great as well. He he works great as in singles or tags, but together, I think the sound are great. I feel like the sound should have won more convincingly, really, because I don't think it would have hurt the BCB. I think they're about where they should be, in my opinion. They're jobbers. They're lovable, funny, plucky losers. And that's how they should be presented for their whole careers, I feel like. But it was a good match. But I think it was maybe too competitive vis-a-vis the, the, the champions. What, what, do they need to use a crowbar against the BCB? Maybe they're just such assholes that that's just how just that's just how they naturally go. And um, Jimmy Stiles a ref. Couldn't we have found anyone else? There was a drunk guy peeing up the side of the hall, sort of falling over his own feet. Couldn't we have put a referee T-shirt on him and got him to ref rather than Jimmy?
0: That's enough talk about your father, Samuel. Come on. Listen, listen, Sam, I said before, I opened me a bit. I was a bit of a fish out of water. I can only call what I see. One thing I did see at the end of the match, though, was um, Mm. you backing down like a little shit-your-pants girly when I told you off for uh, giving me some lip. So I did see that. I I looked straight at you when you turned grey and sank down the ropes like a young child getting told off by his grandfather. It's amazing how brave you get when you're over the phone. But when you're face-to-face, you tend to sort of wilt away like a little petulant flower.
2: I think the grayness of the face and the sort of the sweating and the shaking—I think that was the beginning of this fever. I was starting to get Jimmy actually.
0: Oh, right, you started to feel a bit rough, did you?
2: Yeah, um, I just started to feel ropey.
0: Anyways, but going back to the going back to the match, I thought it was a pretty good match. You know, it, it structurally, I think it was good for the VCB because they got a sort of a more sort of structured approach to tag team wrestling, which is obviously you shine, you heat, you shine again some quick comebacks some some decent moves in there the sound we're obviously trying to sort of bring them up a little bit to to get more au okay with the structure of tag team wrestling but i also think that going forward i think that the bcb should never lose sight of that comedy aspect of their act because that's what makes them different they're a comedy act and as their, their look is very targeted towards that. That match seemed a touch serious, but I know it's for the tag team titles. They're probably going to approach it with a little bit more uh, seriousness than, than usual. Use your comedy to to outsmart your opponents. And if you do that, then I don't see any reason why you couldn't do it in a title match. You've just got to be a little bit cleverer with the way that you use your comedy. So it's, I thought it was a bit of a shame they didn't use so much of that, but then again maybe it was a sort of sounds idea to 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 get more used to the structure of 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 a tag team match but there was nothing wrong with the match it was it was pretty sort of standard fare really and there was some good shit in it so yeah they, they did well.
1: Yeah I thought everybody did pretty well in the match really. I liked the match. I thought maybe your part could have been taken a little bit further Jimmy you know as a referee I, th- I felt like we could have really sort of developed more of a story and had you kind of in mind a little bit more made that kind of interesting but you know, it was what it was. And if you wasn't there, Jimmy, I don't know if the match would have really changed. And maybe because that wasn't really sort of thought about ahead of time. It was kind of a last minute deal that we kind of put you in as the special guest referee. It might have been nice to figure out some cool spots. Maybe it's because I was expecting a little bit more, like especially the the introduction, which you alluded to there, Samuel, you kind of forgot To to announce that there was a special guest referee. I think it would have been good to have the BCB come out, then have the sound come out, and then, like, almost get ready to fight. And then, like, Samuel, you, you remember, you're like, oh, okay. We've actually got a special guest referee. And then, boom, Jimmy's music come on. And then you would have had time for the sound to really sell. Like Jimmy coming out, you have the music come on, Rashwood's throwing a fit. He's kicking, he's screaming, he's having a go at you, thinking like, what, You've, you've stitched me up. And then that would have really kind of brought in that sort of special guest referee thing. But it just seemed like, Jimmy, you came out, got a really nice pop, sort of shook hands with everyone. And then the sound came out and they just looked miserable, which they probably would have been because... They have to turn up and they actually have to do some work and defend those tag team titles. So I thought maybe we could have done it sort of structurally the way it was introduced. We could have got a little bit more out of it. And um, yeah, I do agree with you, Jimmy. Maybe it's because we like to sort of have these stories rolling on and intertwined. It would have been nice if you, you know, if they would have mugged you off at the end or whatever. And then you just turn around, take off the, the referee top and then just spear them out of their boots and get that nice pop to really kick off that second half. But, you know, as the match goes, I thought there was nothing really wrong with it. Um, I like the start. I like the shine with the BCB. It's nice them showing a bit of development. They're happy-go-lucky. They realize that this is a a chance that not everybody gets. Not everyone gets a chance at the tag team titles. We should know that more than anyone, Jimmy, because we've been trying for the last couple of years to try and get those tag team titles, and now we're going to try and get them back. But I would have liked a little bit more BCB shine at the beginning, really whip that crowd up into a frenzy because we know what the sound can do. And as soon as the sound cut them off, you know, you can really go into the heat there, use those numbers, use that crowbar and really get yourselves over. But it would have been nice to have a little bit more shine to really make people believe that the BCB could actually win those tag team titles. I think people in their heart of hearts knew that the sound wasn't going to drop those titles. But if we can make people believe, I think that could be a really good thing. And people like Danny, I just love his character in the middle of the ring. And I think he's got a real ways to go in terms of his character. But I think if he can sort of craft his own little sort of Rey Mysterio in Falling Star Wrestling. Almost be like Ray was in WCW after he got unmasked. So he was that giant killer, taking on people like Kevin Nash, Scott Nortons, and you, you, Scott Halls and stuff and actually managing to pick up wins because he was crafty, because it just sort of happened, it fell in his lap and maybe dropped down somewhere or he got a cheeky little dropkick in there. I think if Danny can watch those matches and really come up with some really innovative ways to, to, to get out of holds or to slip into a stunner or just haphazardly kind of come up with a move that somebody falls over or bangs their head on the top turnbuckle and stuff and then he looks around at the crowd and is like I didn't manage to do that but I didn't know I was going to do that and it it turned out for the better gets a a sneaky win but sort of people like Danny and Toby they've only been doing it for the last one to two years they've got a lot of ahead of them and they will change and they'll develop and they'll evolve as characters and they'll get better and in a couple of years time we'll be looking at them going huh that was funny when they were doing the comedy stuff and look at where they are now they've really sort of delved into their characters they know the business they know how to get a laugh they know when to be serious they know when to speed things up they know when to slow things down and they've got a long way to go but I think if they stick around and they they keep doing what is asked of them, I think they can really go far in in Falling Star Wrestling. I think otherwise it was a sort of a nicely put together match. I thought it achieved a lot in a small amount of time. And I think that was the real key thing here. A lot happened in sort of 10, 12 minutes. And that's a credit to all of the guys in the match and the sound, they cheated, they got the win, they got the heat. Uh, and the BCB got a chance to to get those titles and that's a that's a really nice thing for those guys and I think they deserve a rematch some somewhere down the line maybe if, if Brody's missing one time and they can actually even up the odds and, and and maybe sort of sort it out that way but I don't know it's up to the Falling Star Wrestling Commissioner to, to make those matches but that was my thoughts on that one do you guys have any final thoughts uh, on the BCB versus The Sound?
2: Yeah I think you you wrapped it all up perfectly
1: there Okie dokie cool if we've got nothing else to say about that match we have a few more matches to to talk about. Match number five. We did something a little bit different at Fight Night Aftermath. We went into a junior division match. We had a rematch with the junior division here at the Falling Star Wrestling Academy. We've got the Smiler versus Hurricane Harrison. They come down to the ring. They circle early on with the Smiler taking Harrison down with a single leg takedown. You can tell these guys have really been practicing every week, every Wednesday at the Falling Star Wrestling Academy. Their technical wrestling is really coming along stride. Harrison takes a boot in the corner. The Smiler rushes Harrison into the other corner. Smiler goes for the stomp, but Harrison evades. The light-up boots take Harrison from corner to corner with a kick. That looked really good. The Smiler throws some chaos into the mix by offering a handshake, but bats away the hand, so Harrison retaliates and slaps the Smiler across the face. The Smiler goes for a test of strength, but Harrison stomps on the toes. He sends Smiler to the corner, follows him in. The Smiler then grabs the wrist of Harrison and performs a little magic trick making it disappear. In the distraction, Smiler swipes Harrison from behind, nails the playmaker, and picks up the win. Now, Jimmy Starr, you've been working really closely with Harrison and the Smiler each Wednesday at uh, the Falling Star Wrestling Academy. Do you have any thoughts on their little junior division match here at uh, Westland? So, yeah, we've
0: obviously started the uh, junior division in Falling Star Wrestling, which is an opportunity for the younger guys. We've got some fantastic new trainees. And we want to show them off and we want to give them the opportunity to practice what they've been learning at the academy in front of people, because um, it's the only way they're going to learn how to tell their stories. Plus, it's a, it's a huge confidence builder. We've done that match quite a few times now, Smiler and Harrison in the sort of pre-show. Um, but it was good to put it on fifth because the crowd were really warmed up. They were really receptive to the match and they seem to thoroughly enjoy it. And those two working together, they've got a lot crisper. Their wrestling's a lot, a lot better. They're getting better at telling the stories. They're getting better at their sort of character work. So I'm really hoping this youth division will take off and it'll be just another aspect of Fallen Star Wrestling for for the crowd to enjoy. And it will give the, the younger guys a bit more Impetus to to want to turn up to training so that they can actually have a platform
1: to, to perform in front of people. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a great opportunity for those guys to get in there and do something that they love. And um, I'm remiss to get your opinion on this, Samuel.
2: You have been known to be harsh on people, but you're going to go easy on this, kids, right? I'll tell you what, I'll cut them my break. I, nothing bad to say about these two All the match and n- nor should anyone have anything bad to say about this because they're so young and all the things I've criticised other people for, these guys, like character-wise, for Smiler, like we we've got a pretty good idea of what he's about and who he is. The Hurricane, same thing. I think the match probably exceeded expectations. Really, they're always going to get a good reaction because there's a lot of parents and people there. And It's quite a spectacle, isn't it? Seeing such young kids having a spot on a card. I remember my first few Falling Star shows. I probably seeing these two. And I sort of remember shaking my head and thinking, geez, this, this shouldn't be on a wrestling show in front of people. Let them do it at training. But it, but the more I've seen it, the more I love it. And for how much it gives to these two kids uh, to just keep doing this, is it's just setting them up for the best possible future as young pro wrestlers. It won't be that long. And we'll be seeing these guys at Sport, or we'll be seeing them in a prominent position if they carry on the way they're going. Look at them backstage. For young kids nowadays, we, we didn't grow up with all the, the technology and stuff like that these kids did. You never see them on a phone or a tablet. You never see them mucking around and acting foolish. They're they're quiet. They're respectful. They find their little space to occupy. They listen to advice. Like, you, what a great example, really, of the training school that – I don't know who runs that training school, but someone's doing a good job there somewhere, but it definitely couldn't be Jimmy. So yeah, I'm not going to critique the match in any way. I just think it's great. I just want to see him keep doing more. And I'm excited to... to see him get better. You've really surprised me
1: there, Sam. I expected you to not be as articulate and friendly in your response as that. But yeah, I have to give you every credit for that. You nailed it on the head and you described these guys in a really great way. And it kind of sickens me to to put you over like that. But yeah, every credit to you, mate. Every credit to you. Yeah. yeah. That's why I did it. Who knew Samuel Bloody Wakefield had a heart
2: Who knew? Yeah, don't advertise it. (laughs) It's
1: a podcast first. If you didn't think Samuel Wakefield could be nice. We've got evidence here. We're going to put it out on the internet for everyone to see. All right, after the shock and awe of Samuel Wakefield revealing he does indeed have a heart, we went on to match number six. This was the advertised Limitless title match between the number one contender, Mitch Basher, and the new champion, the sassy bear, Clarence. Mitch Basher comes down to the ring with a fierce look in his eye and a baseball bat in his hand. Next, the new Limitless champion enters the fray. Painted faced and holding the newly won championship, but how long will that title stay around his waist? The bell rings and Clarence asks, Who's ready to get? Sassy. In a show of sportsmanship, the pair shake hands and the match gets underway. Basher rolls through, showing that he's not just a brawler or a powerhouse. He's actually got a bit of agility about him. They lock up. Sassy takes Basher to the ropes and the pair break clean. Basher goes behind, but the gyrating hips of the Sassy Bear help him out of that predicament. Mitch Basher goes for the strike, but Clarence catches both hands. And then the pair do a spot of ballroom dancing around the ring, ending in Mitch Basher taking the close line, a splash in the corner, and a plus-sized Bronco Buster from the sassy bear Clarence Basher kicks out at two. Sassy steams in but eats the boot. Basher then lands the back elbow Pele kick combo in the corner. And as much as the audience love Basher, they really are behind Sassy Bear tonight. Basher gets a red chest next as Sassy lights up Mitch with a few chops in the corner. Basher then takes a suplex as the ring shakes as the two big boys make a little noise. Mitch Basher lands a suplex of his own, a butterfly one to be precise. It nearly lands Sassy on his head, but I think we're good. Sassy charges and goes up and over. Basher nails a boot and hits a draping DDT, but it's not enough to win the Limitless title tonight. Both Basher and Sassy have the same idea and collide in the centre of the ring with dual cross bodies, meat slapping against meat. Clarence avoids a clothesline and nails Basher with a pile driver, but Mitch Basher kicks out just in time. Sassy is looking the stronger man right about now, but we can't count out Mitch Basher just yet, who tries for the sister Abigail, but Sassy manages to counter it with a kiss. Very unorthodox. Both brutes tumble to the outside and the referee begins to count. Basha hits that sister Abigail on the outside and the referee continues to count out both men and both men sadly are counted out. Therefore, this main event match is counted as a draw double countout and still limitless champion, the Sassy Bear Clarence, a battered and bruised basher, grabs the microphone and states that Sassy never beat basher and basher never beat Sassy. So he offers a rematch for January between the two. So that has been set for the Limitless Championship. And before myself and Samuel give our thoughts on this match, we're going to throw it over to Jimmy Starr. What did you think to this Limitless title match, mate?
0: I thought it was good. I thought the body of the match was really good. And it's Sometimes it's difficult to do double baby face, but I've always said if you've got two baby faces that the crowd really care about, then you can get a good response. And I think that they did get a good response. People absolutely love Sassy when he comes to the ring. I think people are sort of getting used to Mitch Basher as, as a potential good guy, but I also get the feeling that they've wanted to cheer the NLP for quite some time now. It's sort of it's long overdue that Mitch Basher is sort of turning into the and uh, into the good side. But yeah, they both know what they're doing. They're both sort of fairly big guys, so it was nice to see just a sort of bit of a knockdown, drag out fight with yeah, obviously some of Sassy's signature spots in there. It was quite a well put together match. I know that there was a few little errors in there, but nothing that I could really say that the crowd would have gone, oh yeah, that fucked up or that fucked up. It was just just stuff that those boys probably realised and 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 just, just they just got on with it like professionals. It, the show did lack a main event really and the finish was a bit flat but that that wasn't their fault that was my fault for booking it that way but there is a method to the madness because there is something that we want to get out of this going forward and it just unfortunately did it meant that that on that particular night the finish was gonna sort of have to be that way so i don't think it it ruined or destroyed the show or anything because when mitch cut that promo and got the crowd back on their feet again he managed to swing it round, but the, the finish itself was designed by me and that's the way i wanted it to go sometimes you can't send them home happy all the time you have to wait to see what's around the corner and, and we'll, we'll see what happens when they next meet up and hopefully there'll be a more decisive decision but it's awesome to see a new limits champion as well sassy deserves that belt he's really earned his stripes in falling star wrestling he's people really do love him and that's a testament to his work and his character so it's great to see him have his opportunity with that title around his waist and getting an opportunity to show what he can do with the whole show really it was a different show to what we normally do there was quite a lot going on I don't think it ever got too overcrowded or too confusing it seemed to sort of go pretty well in that sort of sense so I was pleased with the show. I was definitely pleased with the turnout and I was pleased with how up for it the crowd were. So circling back round to this main event again. I thought it was i thought it was a really good solid match. We two guys who know what they're doing. We both have awesome characters and, and put on a good show. It'd be awesome to see what the next match entails.
2: Sam, I'll throw it straight over to you, mate. What do you reckon? Yeah, Jimmy, I'll take it from here, brother. You tuck yourself in for the night and me and PVC will give some real expert analysis. Yeah, Off you go, probably. mate.
0: Fuck you, Samuel.
2: Fuck you very much. Yeah, what a classy guy. So, what? What? what I, I knew there was something about this match that didn't sit particularly well with me, and and now listening to Jimmy speak and hearing that he he helped put the match together, now I understand why I didn't like it. But no, seriously, it, two big characters, two you could say, c- character wrestlers, two great personalities, both loved by Falling Star, and I, I thought. I, I like everything of the match. I don't know if Sassy. I'm not 100 percent honest. I don't know if Sassy always needs to do the the, the comedy bits in every match. Maybe it, it wasn't out of place, but I'm just saying. Sometimes he can just be mean and focused and angry. But I, as far as character work goes, is there many people better than Sassy in in this on the scene at the moment? Like probably not. For finish, yeah, I didn't like the finish. Mitch almost caused, he gave his sister Abigail on the floor, which then led to the double count out. So he almost screwed his own opportunity by doing that. I don't know from a psychology standpoint, watching it, whether it really made sense to me. And, I, and then on top of that, I'd... I don't know if it warranted or if it felt deserved for him then to claim that he wanted a rematch because you didn't beat me, so let's go again. Well, the reason that ended as it did is because you gave your finisher on a wooden floor and then failed to get in the ring and and make the 10 count. As long as the people want to see it, I I think it's fine. But as a fan, I I don't think I would have been hugely sort of like foaming at the bit for a rematch. I I think maybe Sassy, as a new champion, could have probably had a competitive match and won decisively. I don't know if it would have really hurt Basher. I think he could, could still look strong and walked away a handshake or a dirty look or whatever they wanted to do. And that would have been fine. I, I just think mainly because it was the main event, it does feel a bit flat. Everyone leaving, having just seen a double count out. Um, it did set up for the next show, and if for people, we, we will see, won't we? The proof will be in the pudding if people buy tickets to to see the return match, and hopefully they do.
1: That's the thing. Sometimes you can't always just have the best match on the card or the best main event. Sometimes, like Jimmy said, there's there's method to his madness. So we're only going to find out if that madness is warranted, if it's going to be a draw for when we come back in January. We've still got a show in December coming up, so we're going to see what happens there, and. I don't know how familiar you are, Samuel, with, with the rules of being the Limitless Champion, but the, one of the rules is that the Limitless Championship has to be defended on every show. So, will Sassy even be the Limitless Champion come January when Mitch Bashers around and they have their rematch? That's one of the stories. We don't know what's going to happen there. So, things are up in the air, and if you're the Limitless Champion, you've got to come, you've got to defend it. But, nonetheless, I... I hate to say it. I agree with pretty much everything you said about your review of this match. Apart from the finish, I thought the match was great, but it was the finish that really kind of got to me a little bit, but I'll talk about the positives. I thought both Basher and Sassy worked really hard to make each other shine in this match. And, If that's not wrestling in its purest form, I don't know what it is. Two guys going out there knowing that they're two big guys, two kind of athletic big guys as well. They just want to go out there and lump seven bells of crap out of each other, but also make each other look really good. They're not just going to go out there and be like, oh, I want to get my moves in there. I want to do this springboard spinny 450 Canadian Destroyer. It's like Bash is going to be like, what are you going to do to me? And then Sassy's going to be like, well, what are you going to do to me? Like, how are we going to make each other look really good? And that's what I really like about this match. Like, I can imagine that it wasn't very difficult to put this match together because Sassy knows his character inside out, because... Basher knows his character inside out and probably knows Sassy's character as well, because that's what—that's the kind of person that Mitch Basher is. He's a student of the game. He knows a little bit about everybody. He knows what moves people do. He knows what he can take. He knows what he can give. And that's what's great, because Basher is such a smart guy in and out of the ring. And he's still finding his feet as a singles guy, but... He's just so experienced and he can work with anyone and he's he's one of those guys, like a Ric Flair, who could probably wrestle a mop handle and it would still be really entertaining. And going to the finish, I, I feel from my perspective, if all the stars would have, would have aligned and if not giving too much away, if Mitch Basher was around for the December show, I would have had... Mitch Basher grab grab the limitless title and then them have the rematch at the December show, but it's it doesn't always work out that way, so uh, it, it could have gone a completely different way. But regardless, I like this match and I think come January, I hope that they up the ante. I hope that they use this match as a stepping stone to really put together another really good match. You know, they've come together in the middle of the ring. They now know each other a little bit more. Like, are they gonna add in some really interesting counters? I don't know. Hopefully. Fingers crossed we get a really decisive finish, and it works out really well. And sort of going back to Mitch Basher, I love the guy, if you can't tell. I think he's really great. I love the way he works with the crowd. He never lets up for one single second. He never lets up. The crowd are his number one priority at all times. Like whether he's taking a beat in whether he's giving moves performing moves whether he's doing anything there's always a small kind of nod to the audience or a comment and he's really good at kind of towing that line between way too much crowd work and it being like oh come on mate go on and wrestle but I think he does just enough and I think that's why he sort of resonates with the audience because they feel like they're part of the show whenever Mitch Bashers in the middle of the ring and he's he's not the he's not the smartest character in in a wrestling ring he's not the prettiest he's not the most athletic guy but I think people love him because he gives 110 percent every time he's in the ring he cares about entertaining the fans above all else that's so great because he's so committed to his character and there's not one single second in this match that you thought that's just paul pretending to be mitch basher like with some wrestlers you're like oh yeah that's a guy out there i know that guy he's playing a character like mitch basher is mitch basher there's no other character around it there's no there's no He's sort of that guy. He is that guy. And that's what I just love about him. I I hate to beat a dead horse there. I would have changed the finish about the match, but I can't wait to see these guys go again in January 2024. What
2: about you, Sam? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there for the rematch. Like I said, I don't know from a story point of view whether it was fully warranted, but to talk about Mitch... How I, I kind of see him is—is is it word for is it a conductor, a guy who leads an orchestra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what they're called? A conductor, a guy who holds the two little bicycles? That is what he's doing. whether the people realize it or not, he is constantly keeping an open dialogue between him and the crowd. like you say, whether it's subtle, whether it's a look, whether it's a little comment or even just body language and facial, he is keeping the crowd kind of where he wants them, bringing them up and then sort of getting the reactions that he wants and that is that could easily be overlooked but as a manager as someone who stands outside the ring and, and is, is hearing the crowd and seeing what's going on in the ring like that is a real art form to I have to know when to be gobby and when to let the wrestlers shine when to sit out and then when to sort of fill that you know that void and um, yeah that, I think that's exactly what you were saying that's what he does great and um, so yeah that what what more can you say? That will always go above look and wrestling ability. And he's got a great look anyway. But um, what, what did Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin and The Rock all have? They had a great connection with the crowd. Hulk Hogan could look over his shoulder, raise his eyebrows, give a boo-boo face when things weren't going for him. And that's what kept the crowd in. It weren't the four moves that he'd done, was it? And, um, and Mitch Basher, I would just like to say, does no more than four moves.
1: Just to finish things off on the podcast, unfortunately Jimmy Starr, he's he's popped off to bed. So it's just me and you, Sam. And I just want to say, it's actually been, as much as I hate saying this, it's actually been very enjoyable having you on the Fallen Star Wrestling Podcast. You've exceeded my expectations. You've come here. You've been eloquent. You've been gentlemanly. You know, you've given it a little bit of lip here, there and everywhere. But I think you've given really thoughtful analysis on the matches. It shows that you actually watch the show. You're thinking about wrestling in the right way. I think 2024 could well be the year of Wakefield. What do you say to that, mate?
2: I, I, I hope so, mate. If we're not moving up and we're not moving forward, then what are we doing here? And yeah, no, I, I appreciate your comments, all, all jokes aside. If you're not thinking about it, studying it, analysing it, and really trying to untangle the spaghetti of wrestling in all the other time that you're doing other things, then like, you probably don't deserve to be on the show. To the young kids, I will watch a Samuel bloody Wakefield match. 15 times, sometimes I'll watch it and I'll watch it again. First of all, I'll watch what Sean Stone and Robbie are doing. Then I'll watch what the other guys are doing. Then I'll just watch me. Then I'll watch the whole match as a whole. But you've, you know, if we stand any chance of making this whole thing of pro wrestling entertaining and work, we all got to give it our all, you know.
1: Well said. So
2: we'll see you next time, Samuel Wakefield. Are
1: you going to be at the December show? Absolutely. I'll see you there. Alrighty, there you go. You heard it. Another reason to come along to the Xmas show extravaganza. The one and only Samuel Bloody Wakefield will be there. Maybe he's silly enough to challenge Jimmy and I to a Christmas bash match? (laughs) I don't think there's any chance of that. I do have to offer my sincerest thanks to Mr. Wakefield, though. He was a great guest on the show, and I actually enjoyed having him on the show. Also, Thanks to Jimmy for calling in from the moon, hence the bad reception. But his advice and thoughts were imperative and poignant as always. I think I couldn't really hear him. Speaking of Jimmy Starr, he and myself are offering out an open challenge to face us in the annual Christmas Bash match. Who will stand up and take on the challenge? Find out when we return to the Wesleyan Sports and Social Club on Saturday, 16th of December. Please note the earliest starting time, doors 2.30 and the show kicks off at 3.30pm. Come along, I promise you it will be worth getting out of bed for. Not convinced? What about this? A chaotic, mad, frenzied, mystery-themed rumble. All your favourite star wrestlers in the ring at the same time vying to throw one another over the top rope, probably dressed as something silly. That's still not enough? How about Crowley, the mute monster? He'll be grabbing a microphone and talking. Well, talking might be a stretch, but he will speak for the first time ever. What's he got to say? Will it be complete gibberish or will he beautifully recite us some poetry? My money's on the latter. If that's not enough, Jack Landers, the brand new Falling Star Wrestling Champion, will make his first appearance as the champ in a Falling Star Wrestling ring. So, sorry, what's that? More? more. All right. We've got the Falling Star Wrestling Awards as well. Cast your vote now and let us know your Newcomer of the Year, Match of the Year and Wrestler of the Year. Send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Falling Star Wrestling. One vote per person, please. The winners will be announced and given their awards at the Christmas show on the 16th. Voting closes on Friday 15th. So get in your votes now. well that's your lot folks i really hope you enjoyed the show if you did and you want some more guests on the falling star wrestling podcast like mr bloody wakefield let us know but for now i'll see you at the christmas show and if you can't make it well i'll be sure to catch you next time for another edition of the falling star wrestling podcast see you soon